What's good, everybody? My name is Dr. Bettina Love. And my name is Chelsea Cully Love. And you are listening to Teaching to Thrive. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the third episode of Teaching to Thrive. Today, we have a special guest with us, a wonderful guest, Key Gross, the creator of Woke Kid and Gardener. So, Chels, go ahead and read that bio so they know who they got. All right. Today, we have with us Akia Key Gross, and they are an abolitionist, early educator and coach, consultant, and creative entrepreneur currently innovating ways to unlearn, heal, and liberate with their pedagogy, Woke Kindergarten. Their 12-plus teaching career spans infancy to sixth grade, and they spent their last years in the system as an instructional coach and kindergarten teacher in Harlem. It was their experiences with the carceral state of schooling and the trauma enacted upon black children in these systems that galvanized them to create hashtag black teachers matter, black teachers mentor and equitable schools years ago. As their ideologies and experiences with abolition evolved, they dissolved equitable schools and created at why abolition. Their commitment to creating safe, inclusive, and liberatory spaces for Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer, and trans artists led them to create Sisters Unsigned, an intimate concert series that amplifies the voices of independent, queer, transgender, and genre-expansive Black and Indigenous people of color, artists, and creators. I'm going to make sure that I give everybody all of their handles at the end of this because all of the work that they're doing needs to definitely be followed up on. So uh, I'll give you the handles at the end. But Key, welcome. Uh, it's good to be here. I'm so excited to like kind of meet you, like e-meet you. <laughs> I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, but I'm really hyped to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I mean, I it was we had to get you on the show. Seeing the work that you're doing with Woke Kindergarten, seeing the videos that you're creating and the content that you're creating for young kids. And in this time of the pandemic, I think it's so wonderful, so special, and it's powerful work. And so, you know, you were a voice that we just had to have on the show. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name's Key. I'm originally from Maryland, DMV stand up all day. I live in Brooklyn. I'm based in Brooklyn. During quarantine, I've been between here and Maryland, which has been nice to kind of be grounded at home. Yeah. I would never have been in New York hadn't 
it been for grad school. I never thought I would be in New York. Like not at one point in my life did I think I was going to be in New York. But, you know, I've been here eight years at this point. And so I guess you could say I'm kind of a New Yorker. But, you know, I not only like education isn't the only thing I really love to take part in. I kind of identify myself primarily as just like a, a learner and a creator. And so I think those are two huge parts of my identity. Like to be able to teach, I've had to unlearn and learn so much. And I feel like I learn primarily through teaching. And, you know, I always say like, I'm not the most brilliant person on earth. You know, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of person that just like is really emotional, is really highly sensitive, really deeply intuitive and empathic. And so I lead a lot with feeling. And I guess I've just been able to kind of develop a knack for following my intuition and mm. and learning and creating from those feelings. And so I think those are huge parts of my identity. I also identify as non-binary and trans. And I just kind of came to that realization of like in, in my transness. Um, and I, I didn't know before that you could like be non-binary and trans. Um, so that, you know, it's just something that you know, I think throughout life, we're cycling through so many different identities. And I think what's cool about now generationally is like, there's so much more language that I feel like I never had growing up. Like I've always been this person, but I hadn't ever had the language to really understand who I was in this body, in this skin. And so that's, that's another huge part of who I am. And um, yeah. And I'm just, I love animals. (laughs) That's really me. Like in general, I love animals. Um, and I just, I, I love Black people and I love children and that just kind of shapes who I am. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful introduction. Yes, it is. Thank you. That was powerful. So in, in, in hearing the fact that you have a lot of art to teaching, right? You have a lot of art in understanding the beauty of education. Are you able to quantify into words what you think your educational philosophy would be? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that because I like, you know, when you think about educational philosophy, we generally tend to go to academia. And I think the last time I was immersed in academia for real was like 2017 when I finished my my second master's. And so like sometimes I feel really far removed from the space. And I'm like, I haven't really thought about putting the philosophy into words. I always say like I can show you better than I can tell you. But I realize that sometimes when you show people something, they might not perceive it in the way that you mean for it to be perceived or received. And so I have been thinking a lot about that when I saw that question. And I, honestly, I think my philosophy is this, right? Like, if we ain't too young for you to hate us, for you to sell us, for you to kill us, that we ain't too young to learn how to love ourselves enough to heal, to resist, to unlearn right? To empathize, to understand, to fight back, and really to get free. And and that's really my teaching philosophy on a hundred, maybe a thousand. I don't know, but that's really what it is. Like, oh, you laid me out with that, honey. I mean, that's a hip hop quotable right there. That's a quotable. I mean, that is, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's my philosophy too now. Mine too. Period. It's a communal philosophy. Yeah, because really, philosophy too. Like, you got me to go southern with that. I called you honey on that. That's too much. Oh no, that that that. So, what brought you to that idea? I mean, I love that. If we're not, you know, if you can sell us, if you can maim us, if you can kill us, like what? 
what was the point that, or the moment that made that how you explain your teaching philosophy? What was the moment for you? Well, you know, working in early childhood, you know, early childhood educators and very specifically child care workers do not get the type of respect and reverence in the world, in society as they should. And, um, you know, I taught infants, I taught toddlers, I worked in childcare. Like I did that with degrees, right? People tend to think that childcare isn't professional, right? Like it's not academic. Like, and I'm like, wait, hold up. You understand like the childcare workers, this is infrastructure right here. Like this is how society runs. Right. And so I often have people tell me like, oh, kids are too young. They shouldn't be learning that. Like they're too young to to really understand what you're talking about. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, do you watch the news? Do you see what happens to black children on the daily? Yeah. Right. Do you see what happens to black children in schools? I'm confused. If they're not too young to be locked in this room, if they're not too young to be suspended and expelled, if they're not too young to be handcuffed on the ground, right? If they're not too young to be traumatized like that, then they can't possibly be too young to heal. Mm. Really, that's where it came from. It came from this idea that, you know, kids are too young for this work, too young, essentially, right, to thrive. <laughs> Why? Because I see kids surviving every day. You telling me so they can't have the antithesis of that. They can't they can't have the the joy, but you but you can feed them all the trauma you want. Um, and mm. so that's really where it comes from. Oh. Mm. Yes. 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 I, I'm taking a breath. I'm taking a pause in that and, and just hearing that because that was that was powerful. And as I think about my own children and our own children, as I think about mommy school and the experience of mommy school and what that looked like and and how important it is to make sure that at a young age, they understand how to love themselves and they understand that joy. For them to have that experience in in an academic setting is just it's necessary. It's imperative. That's it's not even an option. So so can you walk us through because we can hear kind of the formation and how. But would you mind walking us through how you created Woke Kindergarten? Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like when I'm asked that question, I tend to go to this place of like, Actually, I think Woke Kindergarten created me. Mm. And I say that because, you know, I, I like started it as an Instagram page years ago. So like if people went and scrolled through the Instagram, they would see that actually like my first post was probably in like 2017. And I was teaching a kindergarten class who obviously like experienced the election. And I remember my kids coming back, right? Because this is what I tell people have to remember when you're teaching like babies, right? Like I'm teaching kindergarten, right? Their first president, the president that they were born into was black, right? And so, you know, like their first president was black, which is mind boggling, (laughs) the history of, of this country. And so to then go from having a black president, and these are young children, so, you know, they ain't talk about Obama's war crimes. They're not talking about that. But <laughs> they they see somebody who looks like them, right, um, in, this, in this perceived position of power. To then have to experience what happened in that election, 
um, it was really traumatic for my for my kids. A lot of them went with their parents to vote, right? They had their little stickers and and everything. And so, you know, I know I was devastated the night before. But when I came back, I knew that I had to hold space for my kids to be able to feel all of the feelings that they were feeling. And really, we have been working like, honestly, it wasn't until really like Bettina, until you kind of coined abolitionist teaching that I knew what I had been doing. <laughs> so like, honestly, you you changed my life in a lot of ways. And I'll get back to that later. But like, I have been working with my my kids and we have been learning about like resistance and all of these like various forms of resistance and what that looks like. And so when my kids came to school the day after, they were really upset. And I remember asking them like, you know, you know, I, I can tell you're you're so upset. Like, what do you think you can do? How can you let people know that this doesn't feel good for you? Like and one of my kids who and I'll never forget him, he had he had a stutter. So it wasn't often that he wanted to raise his hand, you know, and and share. But he raised his hand and he was like, we can have a protest. Mm. And I sat here and I was like, this is what I dreamed of. Now, but really, like, you think like that's a that's a huge moment, right, as a teacher, because you're just like, wow, everything that we had thought about, that is critical thinking. Right. That is it in practice. Right. And so, you know, I, I was like, cool, that's stamp. Let's do it. Like that, that is a great idea. And so all I did was like, okay, where's the cardstock here? You know, we got markers, we got all of these tools for you to use. And I did nothing. I didn't tell them what to write on their signs. I did nothing. They just went to work, right? Creating their signs. All I did was help them tape the little popsicle stick <laughs> to the cardstock. Okay. So I'm taping popsicle sticks to cardstock on the rug. And suddenly I had, I'm hearing, I'm like, am I hearing something? I look to my left. It's a little group of kids marching around in a circle in a classroom. Talking about something. No Donald Trump, no <laughs> Donald Trump. And I sit here, I'm tripped out because, you know, people, I feel like people wouldn't believe me unless they saw it. It just started happening. So I said, ah, oh, let's take it to the halls then. So <laughs> we're in the, the old uh, Rice High School uh, in Harlem. And so it's, it's the building is seven floors. So when I, when I say take it to the halls, we took it to every hall. Wow. Um, and the kids just marched with with their signs, and they made up whatever chants. And they we walked all seven of them floors, and people then came out. I remember <laughs> that, you know, CEO came out. CEO of schools, is, that's crazy. But um, and and I remember it being it was a big deal because it wasn't something that was planned. It was completely like student led. This is what they felt. And this is how they were expressing themselves. This is how they were expressing their rage and their pain and how they had learned to be able to do so. And so that's honestly what woke kindergarten stemmed from is I thought to myself, dang, like we just have to to give this space, provide this space and the kids, they'll figure it out. (laughs) Okay. So that's kind of how it started. And I thought to myself, you know, well, what I'm doing in my classroom, because I was really the only person in my in my school kind of doing this work the way that I was doing it, I thought, dang, man, like we got to reach more people. I wonder how I can show what, what kids are doing, um, what my kids are doing. And so I created Woke Kindergarten as an Instagram. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially it was just like cur- a curation of like certain resources and things like that. And you could tell like it went on and off. I experienced a really like significant traumatic event the, the next year in my family. And, 
in 2018, that was the beginning or 2017 was the beginning of me realizing that I had to go. Like that was the beginning of me realizing that I was probably going to exit the system Mm -hmm. in order to prioritize my healing. So I did that for like two years and I, I really had to step away from schooling. Right. And I had, and I have to make the distinction because I didn't want to step away from education, but I had to step away from schooling in order to heal. And I, I stepped into my creative pursuits, my more artistic creative pursuits. And I just, I didn't do nothing with it. And then, you know, COVID hits, right. Right. And we get stuck in Maryland because we had a show at Kennedy center. So we, we stuck in Maryland. We, We were in DC, everything shut down the day of our show. And so I'm like, okay, we got a quarantine for two weeks. I end up getting sick. So I'm sick for a month. (laughs) And when I came to, the world was burning. Like families were losing it. Schools shut down. Everybody was suffering. And I thought to myself, oh, man, I had been out of schools for two years. I had already been been consulting. I've been doing virtual stuff. I had the energy, right? I was able to spend a lot of time healing. So I thought, what can I do? Yeah. And so the kind of rebirth of what kindergarten and why I say it created me is because it was really in response to like this current kind of revolution that we found ourselves in. Mm-hmm. And what I felt like, what, it, what, what am I here for? I'm a vessel for something. What can I do? And so it was really in response to that. And I remember like I created that protest resource when the people started really protesting for George Floyd, because I thought to myself, like, kids are seeing this. They're being traumatized. And I bet people are really struggling to have conversations and we need to be having conversations because these babies are experiencing multiple pandemics. What can Mm -hmm. I do? Yeah. And so really that kind of moment where I knew it was something different. And that really was kind of the rebirth of like, okay, what, what do the babies need? And what, what do their families need? How can I support um, so it was very specifically kind of like these two very aligned, but different experiences and how Woke Kindergarten came to be. So if you had to explain to somebody who doesn't know what Woke Kindergarten is at all, like how, what would you say it is? Like the elevator speech, like what is it? I would probably give them the vision for what I want it to be, which is like a global abolitionist early learning community. Mm. That's what I really want it to be. I, I want it, you know, cause I've, I've, found that virtually, you know, this thing did go global, right? I had people from different continents hit me up and I thought to myself, wow, like, you know, Angela Davis says we all need to be globalists. Like, what's up? Right. We, it's not, we can't just sit here and think we're, we're living in a vacuum. So that's what I would tell people. Like, well, kindergarten is a a global abolitionist early learning community. Like, and that's, this is what we're trying to build. And it, it doesn't work unless we're actively working to build that and and create it together. So as a teacher, you're not so far removed from the experience yourself to be, you know, naive to what happens in a classroom. What do you tell teachers, like kindergarten teachers and these early learning teachers, what do you tell them during this time in order to make sure that their teaching is reaching all of the different levels of humanity and of the children that they work with? Hmm. I think the first thing that comes to mind is um, if you're racist, leave. Yeah, okay. We, we, we don't need you. Okay. We don't need you there. Thank you. Because um, <laughs> um, for real, for real, it is, I, I think the times are really, sh- people are showing out. Okay. Like they are showing out. Um, there are so many people who are down 
to do the work. But really, I always tell people like you have to interrogate your own beliefs and your own experiences and your own privileges and the ways in which you might be triggering children because you've not taken any steps to heal yourself. Mm. And so like, if you're not looking inward, then you can't do any work externally with anybody else. And I think too often teachers are so concerned about like the kids, the kids, the kids, this, 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 and that. And I'm like, cool, we need to, our kids are our priority, but if they are our priority, then we need to make sure that we're good. And so many teachers are not good, right? Like, like in, you know, regardless on, you know, what part of the spectrum you're on with that, like if you're super racist, like, honestly, I don't have time for that. I, I really don't. Um, there's no time for that right now. But if there are people who actively are trying to work and do better, the way to reach your kids is to really show up and be your authentic self. And so if that means that you have work to do, you don't sit here and pretend like you don't. You got to come and be real with your children and, and say that you don't know something or say that you are really trying to learn or seed power and figure out ways where kids, you know, are, are granted the agency that they deserve because kids can lead these conversations. You know, I have people asking me all the time, oh, what do I do? How, how should I do this? And most of the time, the answer is so simple. It's like, just give it to the kids, like even the young kids, like ask a question. You know, show show your vulnerability, normalize vulnerability, mm. normalize not knowing, you know, that's how you reach people. Do you think that's the key to working with young children, particularly when you think about like, how do you do anti-racist work? Do you think being vulnerable and being committed to healing is, is some of the keys of doing that work? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely think that. And I think that's where people, whenever people tell me that kids are too young for this work, what my assumption, right? And and I'll say that it's an, an assumption because maybe it's not like this for everybody, but my assumption and what I deduce from that is like, you're you're talking about teaching into like all of the atrocities because you know how atrocious things are, <laughs> right? So like, and and really what I'm saying to people is, to be able to do this work with our youngest, our youngest learners and our youngest babies, we really have to teach in into joy and into resistance. And because joy is resistance, black joy is resistance, play is resistance, right? Black children being able to play. We have to do everything from a healing-centered lens. We have to have empathy. We have to teach from places of empathy, right? And we can have accountability with empathy. And that's what I think people don't understand is like, they're thinking like, oh, you can't say this, this and that. No, I'm going to teach them the truth, period. Like that's what's going to happen. But the lens through which we do it is, 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 and this should, I mean, what people do in early childhood should span all the grades. And you know, like that's what's so crazy is like early childhood is showing people what to do and how to do it. And it's like the older that people get, the older that kids get, people start to adultify them. Like black children, like are suddenly like you don't need to have as much empathy. You don't need to have as much compassion. You don't need to care anymore. Like, what is this? You know, and, and it's crazy because I'm like early childhood ecosystems exist and, and, and these caregivers, right, they're showing you what to do. And so that's it's really about what lens because I can teach the truth through various lenses. And so the lens that I'm choosing to take is one that really prioritizes Black children's ability to still be kids, (laughs) 
you know, like you still get to be a child. You know, I'm not stealing your innocence by teaching you the truth. I'm equipping you mm. um, to be able to to resist all of these lies. I love that word equipping. I love that. Um, yeah, that 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 equipping them to resist the lies, to find the joy, to be able to to celebrate in that joy. So I, th- I feel like that's a, a good foundation of explaining to us and explaining to everyone listening how you teach little kids about abolitionist work. How do you mm. do that? So, you know, I think for me, it's really about normalizing what kids deserve because we live in a society where black and indigenous folks, we don't have what we deserve. And there's all this talk, you know, about equality, which I know, um, you know, cause that's still not giving black and indigenous folks what they deserve, but it's really about normalizing. Like if I'm teaching you abolition, I'm like, with what I'm creating and what I'm putting out into the world, I want that to become your norm. So if I'm saying to you, you deserve to feel safe, you deserve to feel comfortable, right? And all of you, you deserve to be able to say no in X, Y, and Z ways. I want that to become your norm. And I want families to engage with that too, because we know that generationally, a lot of us have a lot of trauma to heal, right? And so that needs to become our norm too for our kids to be able to do that safely with us. And so really it's about like, if I'm normalizing what you deserve, then that's basically kind of already abolishing the stuff that you didn't. Mm. And, and that, that's kind of how I, how I approach it is I really just want people to pay attention to what I'm centering, who I'm centering, right? Like when I do woke read alouds and I, and I be watching them back sometimes and I laugh at myself because I'm like, oh, I'm specifically just talking to black children. <laughs> like, I just am like, I am very specifically like you are who I'm talking to. And honestly, like I, I just, I, I would love to, one thing I miss about doing all this stuff virtually is like being in the presence of kids. But I wonder what it would feel like to have someone directly talking to you into your experience, right? And and that be your norm, right? To me, that is practicing abolition. Like if this is what I'm growing up with and I know like this, so anything outside of this space is abnormal to me. Right. Okay, like, hold up, what you mean you're not, you're not centering me? Hold up, why am I not seeing myself? Right. I'm confused, right? That, that becomes crazy because we have been gaslit into believing that we're the ones who are just like the on the uh, on the outskirts mm-hmm. of, of the planet like we, that's and that's so crazy to me I often feel like am I living in a twilight zone like am I tripping I don't want kids to to feel like that you know I want kids to be able to sit here and start to question why they don't see themselves more why they're not prioritized more to me that becomes the norm that should be the norm and so I think doing that and um being very intentional about centering uh and being pro-black right <laughs> like because i you, we talk about like anti-racism all the time and i'm sitting here thinking like okay cool to me when i hear anti-racist i often think like oh, okay people just you know people don't like racism and i and it for me it doesn't work unless you are anti-racist with a pro-black lens there you like, go unless you know what i'm saying like it just no. don't work <laughs> so and what does that mean it means okay now you really have to be actionable Okay, put your money where your mouth is. You don't like when people are racist. Okay, cool. That's that's a that's a preference. You don't like that. 
okay, show me, show me what that means. And so I think that aspect of like, if everything we're doing is pro-black, right, then everybody's free. Everybody gets liberated because, you know, one thing I appreciate is like people who, who I can tell are actively trying to do the work, right. And engage with abolition. Like I have like a lot of white families that are really down for woke kindergarten and they love the woke read alouds. And to me, I'd be, I'd be pleasantly surprised. Cause I'm like, Ooh, you know, they talk to me and cause they're so just very centered for black children. And I'm like, this is what all kids need to be hearing. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. So really, really quickly, because I love the woke read aloud. Like, how do you pick the books? How do you do all of the, like the, you know, you point your finger and the animation, like, because we're <laughs> in a pandemic and people need to pick up these skills and do this stuff in a way that is engaging, that is thoughtful, that is about joy and that centers black and brown children. So just like really quickly tell us, like I, I, you pick a book and then how do you start to build what you're going to say and how you're going to do those lessons. Asking for a friend sitting right beside you. Asking for a friend. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, you know, I think we've all been teachers, right? And I know, you know, for example, let's say, Bettina, somebody reads your book, right? And they go and they're like, okay, let me see this in practice. I don't remember any part of my schooling career that showed me examples. And so even before I choose the book, My thought process is like, how can I teach this in a way where I'm teaching to kids, but also to families and to teachers? Mm. Like, I want you to be able to see and kind of pick through what I'm doing. And I want there to be some type of, and I'm not saying I'm the model at all. I just want there to be some example, right, that people can go through and interrogate and pick apart and like think about and analyze and think critically about. So even before that, that's kind of where my head is. And that helps to guide a lot of my decisions in like the animation. When it comes to the books, it's interesting because the first time Wings was kind of like a, I knew I wanted to read that book, right? It was, it was just, it was one of those books that just made sense for me to read. Um, And it was so kind of aligned with the time. It is a timeless book. I mean, Chris wrote that in 2000. (laughs) Tripped me out. Tripped me out. And so, um, so, but the second time I really thought about, okay, what do I mean by woke read aloud? Mm -hmm. And so when I was thinking about that, I thought to myself, well, this means that I could take any book really and flip it the woke kindergarten way. And, and so I took a book, right, about animals, because, right, we have so many books about animals. We just do. We have so many books that, like, we don't have a lot of books about Black children, but we have a lot of books about animals. And so I thought to myself, how can I present this book in a way that would still, you know, because very young children, they, a lot of empathy, we can teach a lot of empathy through animals. Like, that just, a lot of kids kind of identify with, like, loving animals and stuff like that. We see that all the time. And so I thought to myself, with Mr. Tiger Goes Wild, I really like this book. And when I think about it, it makes me think about respectability politics. So I'm always trying to draw connections and make meaning because that's the whole point of reading a book. And so I thought, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, this is the whole point of reading a book. And I see too many read alouds where it's just like, okay, you know, maybe a celebrity is reading a book and that's it's two minutes. And I'm like, well, what are people getting out of it? Yeah. So I wanted kids, I wanted to kind of model what it meant to make connections as you're reading. 
and like make connections to ourselves and to our own experiences and to our lives and to the world around us. So I thought, let me let me try and flip this book. And in navigating that text, you know, I'm thinking I, I, I don't prep them at all. I just want people to know, like, if you see it, like I, I read it straight through and I probably have to chop up the takes. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I, I want it to be authentic. So I want it to come to me as is. And so, you know, with Woke Read Allows in particular, my homie Mele, who's a part of my team, Women Amplify, she's able to kind of translate visually every thought that I have in my head. Uh-huh. So we'll go through every moment. And she, and she, a lot of people ask me what, you know, what program we use, but she uses Final Cut Pro to actually like edit everything into it. And so we'll sit together and I'll go through every element of everything. And I'll explain to her because, you know, her background isn't necessarily in education. So if I'm like, okay, I want making connections here. Let me tell you why. Let me, let me put this like reading strategy tip here. Cause I want families to be able to engage with this or press pause. I want teachers to be able to press pause and use this, right? I wanted to create something that was so full that teachers, all they really had to do was facilitate discussion around it or families at home who've had to take on teaching can just facilitate discussion around it. And I also wanted to take the time to like bring, you know, our real world experiences into this text because everything is virtual. So I wanted people to be able to see, like, I wanted kids to be able to see real photos and real pictures and tie this to actual kids. And I wanted, I want there to be more humanity in reading books. Mm. Like, it's not just a book. To me, children's books are the most inspirational. For me, I read them and, and like, it transports me to a different world. And it honestly, I find children's books really healing for my own inner child. And so much of what kindergarten is that healing in, in, in praxis. And so for kids to be able to kind of, I want them to feel like they're part of like being in the, the video with me. And I just knew that it's hard to keep kids engaged virtually. <laughs> so we needed to do something that was exciting and that felt interactive enough to where it wasn't overpowering the actual read of the text, Mm -hmm. but just kind of helping serve as a guide to like support families in doing this too, because I, you know, I know it's hard. This is so amazing. And I just love all the energy, the compassion. It, It was just, it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And um, I, really appreciate that. I, I, I just, I hope, I hope you keep doing it. I hope you, I hope people listening, pick it up, check it out, show your family, show the teachers, show everyone around you, because it's really simply beautiful and it's powerful and it speaks to what's going on right now. And it's so timely. So I just want to say thank you. Nah, I appreciate that. And they're coming back. I've been like in between <laughs> you know, been so transient, but they're definitely coming back. And also like, it takes a lot out of me because it's not, you know, I've never been the type of person to want to be in front of crowds. Like, believe it or not, I was the most insular child. Like my mother had to force me in her Ariesness. Okay. Like I had, like, she was an extrovert and I'm, I wasn't. So it was interesting that teaching brings that out of me. I, I really, I really view teaching as an art. And so I want people to I want people to take that with them. I feel like the the teachers, the best teachers I see are artists. And I mean artists in the sense that they treat the they treat teaching as a craft, as an art. Mm. 
And so like when I'm reading the book, I really am into it. <laughs> I'm really into it that in that way. And, and I hope that authenticity pulls through because that's what kids, I think, connect with is our authenticity, our vulnerability. You know, if we're modeling, questioning everything, then that starts, that gives kids permission to normalize questioning everything. So I, I really appreciate that because because them joints are near and dear to my heart. So to hear that from you, it's a big deal. No, they're fire. Absolutely fire. When I when I first so my my beginning chapter when I or unit whenever I start teaching for the new year is metacognition. And not just thinking about your thinking, which is the basic idea of metacognition, but really moving through and making those connections and asking questions and the way you do that so seamlessly. When I saw your first video, I was cleaning and I just sat down because I couldn't keep going. At first I thought, oh, I can just listen to this and, and, you know, do what I'm doing because I'm a master teacher. So I'm going to watch, you know, hear this. But it was something that I, it stopped me in my tracks and I sat down and I was engaged with you and I wanted to be engaged and I wanted to go on that journey through those texts with you. And so you do it so seamlessly and with such a genuine spirit that, you know, your, your question of whether it comes through is, is, is crazy to me because it came through so much that it stopped me in my tracks. Wow. Wow. See, you make, you don't make me emotional. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I want to ask you then as, as a final question, you know, I am all about joy in the space and, and making sure that teachers are taking care of themselves and as educators and as creators, we also always want to give to everyone else to make sure everyone is okay. But what, what, what warms you? What makes you feel fulfilled? What is your joy? Mm. I feel like that's such a loaded question right now in the midst of these multiple layered pandemics. I feel like I'm trying to I'm trying to find that again. I think prior to this, my joy honestly really was being with children. So I'm trying to reconcile the agony that was leaving the classroom to prioritize my healing because my joy was really I'm so inspired by kids rawness and realness and ability to just be in the world as it is and to call the world what it is, right? And just to like exist and and live in this space and like, you know, adults strip that from them. They like, they hear, they vibrating on a different plane. And so to be with that energy, that really brings me a lot of joy. And which is why I'm excited to like have started this kind of like beta kind of community with World Kindergarten to actually see what kids are doing. And like, so I'm excited about that. But I also just really immerse myself in like the arts. I love film. I love photography. I love transporting myself into like fantastical spaces, like away from <laughs> this current reality. Like I like to try and put myself in alternate realities. And I honestly think that's also what fuels my work is because I'm always constantly allowing myself to imagine and to freedom dream and to think of something different than this. And so I really actually almost dissociate from this space and I'll, you know, I will watch like my favorite shows or, or I love independent film or I like to create with my team. You know, we, we song, right. We're about to drop my, my partner's next EP. And I just remember, 
Yeah, I, yeah. Listen, listen. It's gonna be it's gonna be fire. Okay. Um, and and so back when I before all of this happened and we had Sisters Unsigned, that was my space. Yeah. Like I'm telling y'all, I wish y'all could have experienced it. Like that was my space. Like we ran it out of a recording studio in, in Bushwick. We built the stage from the ground up. We we built the bar. We ran everything. You know, I hosted it. Like I curated the acts. I got to be in community with queer and trans artists all the time. And that brought me so much joy to be able to create and and uh almost create our own little ecosystems yeah. of of community care in this way. That's that really is kind of what fulfills me and what what fuels me. And so, you know, when I we we did a shoot this past weekend, it was the first time I had picked up my my film camera in a long time and I remember like, wow, just creating art. Mm-hmm. Like that really, really fulfills me to just be able to create art. Like that to me is such, such resistance and, and, you know, to be able to sit here and say like, ah, this thing that I'm doing, right. That I'm choosing to do, you know, I'm out in the world and you, and we, I'm creating art and they having a black party down the street. Like this seems <laughs> divine. Um, so, you know, just that, and just being around, uh, I feel really grounded with, with, you know, my animals and just being in community with people who, you know, aren't wearing foggy glasses, honestly. You see the world for what it is and and, and you don't let it break you. But at the same time, you're not afraid to be broken. Mm. Being with being with people whose humanity hasn't been stripped from them yet. That really is also what fulfills. Me. So I would say like community art. Dogs, kids, that's day one for me. <laughs> oh, well, listen, you have two fans right here. Yeah. Uh, two fans right here. We we are. I think I'm a stan. Oh. I'm more than a fan. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. All right. <laughs> um, so for those of you who have also absolutely fallen in love with Key from this uh, podcast and this interview, or if you are familiar with their work on other platforms, I'm going to give you a few of their social media uh, follows. There's so many, but I'm sure that they can kind of all lead us back to where we want to go. So on Instagram, you can follow them at Woke Kindergarten or at Why Abolition or at Why Women Amplify. And women is spelled W-O-M-X-Y-N, Amplify. And at Sisters Unsigned, you can also go to their website, which is wokekindergarten.org to find out how you can get some more of this blessing and the spirit that is in has been in this interview. So thank you so much, King. Thank you. Can I? And also speaking of blessings, I got to say one thing to Bettina. I feel like I got to say it on behalf of everybody. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I, I don't think you understand too the impact that you're making on people like me on like young queer black educators who have so rarely felt like they've had mirrors mm. um <laughs> in this work and you have legitimately like well kindergarten doesn't exist without you either uh. um you have legitimately shifted and changed my life i remember the first time i heard you speak I finally felt like I had I, w- I was seeing someone <laughs> like me. And I just remember having it was like I know everybody has like a visceral experience when they when they listen to you because like you just you just connect. But for me in particular, hearing you talk honestly made me 
love myself in ways that I had not before. Wow. And I just think you you got to know that because, you know, up until then, I thought I thought I was crazy. <laughs> I thought I was crazy. Up until I heard you go off and, and really call people out and keep it real and be authentic and be yourself. What? Like, I swear, my whole life has uh, been being like being being destroyed for that or, right. you know, for, for walking into spaces and being my most authentic self and doubting myself and who I am and feeling bad about being real. And you just, you kind of showed that and um, you really changed the game. And so for someone like me to be able to, to see that, like, I swear, like you, that, that really shifted me and changed me. And I just want to say thank you for the work that you do. Cause you've been able to give name to what it is that I'm like, oh, this is what I was doing. And I've learned so much. I didn't have a great schooling experience. Like I really have had to unlearn a lot. I wasn't radicalized till probably later on, right? And um, so to be able to to learn from you and, and commune with you in these ways, I'm just really appreciative. And I just want to say thank you because on behalf of all of us doing this work, ain't no work without <laughs> abolitionist teaching, okay? Period. I, That's it. I don't know what to say. I wasn't expecting that, but um, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, it just means the world to me to be in community with you and Farima and Marilyn. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just we're out here and I, I know every win, our community wins. And so I just want to say thank you and for trusting me, for seeing my work as valuable and please know I feel the same. So I, I just want to say thank you for that. That was, that was, that was unexpected. That was beautiful. And I receive it and I'm very thankful. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you for naming too Marilene and Farima. Cause, cause what kindergarten name what it is without them either. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, that's the crew. That's the crew. That's the crew. So thank you so much again, everybody listening, go on Instagram, get your life. Go to at Woke Kitten Garden and please, please check out Key Gross. They are the truth. And we can do this work with our babies. And we can, so we don't have to be thinking about, oh, you know, we got, what are we going to do in sixth grade? What are we going to do in high school? No, our babies have gotten this since the beginning. Mm. And that can change worlds. That makes the world a different place. So I thank you so much for your work. I thank you so much for hanging out with us. And we appreciate everything you're doing. And any way we can support, we want to support. Thank you. The last thing I'll say is, listen, all power to the little people. That's, <laughs> that's it. Ah, all power to the little people. I like that. Oh, I like you, that. King. Thank you so much. Thank y'all. Teaching to Thrive was produced by Dr. Bettina Love, Chelsea Cully Love, and Dr. Kelly Morgan Gunn. The musical arrangement was provided by Dr. Gail Surden. We'd also like to thank our kids for being one.